The Greg Scheinman Podcast is brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. And also, Rose Studios, endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. Visit rosestudios.com for more information. So this is pretty cool to me. Uh, When Dave Maloney started the decathlon in 2008, it was to settle a friendly bet amongst a bunch of Wall Street jocks. He and his friends had each competed in sports at a D1 level in the 90s. They were about to turn 30, spent the better part of the previous decade busting each other's chops over who was the best athlete in the group. Now, Dave has grown the D10 decathlon to five cities, New York, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, and Houston. It's a nationally televised event consisting of 10 traditionally performed decathlon events, as well as the NFL Scouting Combine. And most importantly, and and I think the coolest part about this is 100% of the money raised by competitors goes to support pediatric cancer institutions, and to date, over $8 million has been raised. So I absolutely love what Dave is doing and had the privilege myself to compete in the Houston D10 this year, and I look forward to competing again. It's really a very special network that he's built and continues to build, and getting the chance to sit down and talk with Dave about getting the D10 started, scaling it and everything that goes along with creating a world-class level sporting event concept while still somehow finding the time to train himself, be a husband and a father to his adorable kids. Uh, It's a really inspiring and thought-provoking story and conversation. So uh, with that, here's the show, Dave Maloney, founder and executive producer of the D10 Decathlon. Dave, tell me about how you got the idea for the decathlon or the D10 decathlon now and how this idea came to fruition. Um, sure, so, so I have to take you back about nine years uh, in New York City. Um, bef- in the late 1990s, I went down from New Jersey to University of Texas uh, to run track and then transferred to Auburn University where I finished out my career getting my ass kicked in the SEC. War Eagle. War Eagle, there you go. (laughs) Um, I moved to New York Monday, September 10th, 2001. So most people don't actually know the day that they started in the quote-unquote real world. I'll never forget. Um, And about nine years ago, this is a little over nine years ago, there's a group of friends. We had all been friends for the better part of a decade. Some some of that group was even longer. We'd all played college sports, different sports. Right? So you had different body types. You had the fat football players, the tall, lanky basketball players, baseball players, lacrosse, all different body types. And we had been busting each other's chops for years about who was the best athlete in the group. We all approached sort of sports in a very different way. And so I just decided that I can even remember, you know, I'm on the balcony of my building in New York. I called my best friend. And I said, look, I'm going to we're going to settle this bet once and for all. I'm going to create this 10 event competition modeled after the NFL Combine. Let's let's invite these guys, and we're just going to do it. And so we created a scoring table. Um, and I literally, the night before the competition, after everyone had agreed to do it, uh, I rented the East 7th Street Park in New York City, and I went downstairs to the front of my building, and uh, I had the doorman pick out of a Minnesota Vikings baseball cap the order of events and the order on which you actually went, and just randomly. And... We had a, so we go out to the park, we have a blast. Here's the thing that pe- people don't realize, Greg. The first year we did the event, we had free throw shooting. We had, um, and what ends up happening is, we can only do about six, I think it was six events outside. 
I have one of my friends taking down the scores on a notepad, clipboard. We all then have to get in cabs and go to Wall Street and New York sports clubs. I get in a cab with her. She turns around and puts the clipboard on the back seat behind her. We get out of the cab, go into New York sports clubs. The cab drives away with the scores. So the first six events of the very first D10, people had to quote unquote remember what they did. You you've never seen as many slow slow guys run four four forties. Um, that was the start, and, and after that event, we had a blast. Uh, and everyone said, you know, what if we would we raise money for this? My mom had come out of chemo, and so following year, um, I decided let's turn it into a fundraising event. Most of the guys agreed. Wrote a very rudimentary program that would allow people to bet on how well you performed, and all the money would go to cancer, uh, a cancer charity. At the time, uh, I selected Live Strong. It was before you know what hit the fan, and uh, we get one hundred twenty thousand dollars wagered on us. I had cold called a reporter from Bloomberg the week before the competition. I told a guy, Eric Matuszewski is his name. I'm still friends with him to this day. I said, "You don't know me. I'm gonna I'm gonna become the best athlete on Wall Street this weekend." It's a terrible pitch. <laughs> he writes the story. It's the number one story globally that day on Bloomberg. We're on TV that afternoon. Uh, I think it's a day or two later, there's a camera crew that comes to the East 7th Street Park in New York to film 19 guys at their gym clothes doing this event. And Monday morning, you've got a hedge fund analyst sitting on In the Loop with Betty Lou, which is the morning show at the time on Bloomberg. He's the best athlete on Wall Street. He's the featured guest. And we beat the Giants and the Jets in coverage. And the Yankees were in postseason coverage. And we even beat them in coverage. And he said, okay, here we go. We got something. It blew up. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it blows up. And you say, we got something. But you still have that moment where, okay, am I going to do this for a living? Yeah. Like, how do I do this for a living? One, raise money for, for cancer research for charity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also produce a world-class event, what's developed into a world-class event. Um, and how do I monetize this? <laughs> Yeah. So that it can sustain me and I can actually leave my Wall Street job, right. if you will, maintain these Wall Street relationships and produce this event and turn it into an actual, an actual business. I, I, I go back to 2011, um, which is when you, we were at a point, sort of like the core group that was in, involved doing it. And... Uh, I had looked at these people who were, this was starting to become part of their personal story. And that year we raised, um, I think we're at about $500,000 at that point. And the time that goes into producing that event, managing that type of fundraise was such that it was either going to fail at that point because it couldn't sustain itself as a sort of gig, right? Or I was gonna say, okay, let's see if we can make this thing for real. And that's, that's it's sort of the decision, um, I find that the big decisions in life where you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, like when am I gonna have to sit down and make this decision? The market will tell you, like it will be obvious that it's either gonna tip and fail or it's gonna tip and succeed. And there's gonna be an observation or set of observations that you make where you say, um, it's going to make it 
uh, I can see the path. It's gonna, it can make it. I can grow this to essentially the Iron Man equivalent for every third baseman, power forward, hockey player out there that's otherwise not wanting to drag their body 140 miles through a swim, bike, run, but has competed at a high level already and says, what's, what's for me? And uh, I, I would say, you know, I had that, there were those moments where I said, where I said it's either going to fail or this thing's going to be big. Go. So it's big at this it's got it's gotten big i mean i heard about it has so i heard about this from my brother a year or two ago he said you got to check this thing out it's, uh-huh. it's the fittest man on wall street and, and look at these events and you'd be into this and i checked this thing out okay this is really cool like this is really cool like here's a chance to actually kind of size yourself up with with your peers in a way. And I, and I think of my peers as mm, guys in my age bracket, and mm-hmm. I'm in my mid-40s at this point, but guys that are also working. Right. So they're not devoting their entire lives purely to, to fitness. Sure. Um, which I think is is huge to be able to say, okay, how do I balance the work-life balance? How do I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I go train for an hour or two and then I'm at my office and then I'm grinding it out and then I'm taking the train or the subway and I'm looking at these guys going, okay, that's really impressive right. to me in a way versus, well, I have all day to train and recover and do it again and that's, yeah. my, that's my livelihood. So I kind of put a delta on, hey, these are, these are really impressive guys to me who can who can balance that and 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 women obviously as well in there so i look at this and say this is this is really cool and around that i guess shortly after that time you announced the tour the that the decathlon was going to actually go to other markets and and fortunately houston was was one of those markets but my original intention was let me look up the scores of the guys in new york they're Uh pretty close to my age and let me go to new york to go do this that would be really awesome but instead it got to the point for you where it was so it's gotten so big that you decided to take the show on the road right yes take take me through through that again now you've got sponsors and now new york has been so successful and you decide i'm going to take it to other markets how do you do that uh not easily it's a big risk i'd say we're still in a in a risky period um, for a couple of reasons. One of them was from 2012 to 2014, this event was known as the RBC Decathlon. Royal Bank of Canada bought the naming rights. And it was the first time I'd ever done a big, big deal with a you know multinational bank on a sports property. But during the duration of that, uh, let's call it agreement, there were stipulations on what you could do with the brand. So from 2012 to 2014, it grew, but it cemented itself as this New York Wall Street-centric event. And so for years, Greg, I looked at, um, I thought was um, stagnation. It grew in New York, but the community didn't grow outside of New York. So in, let's call it 2015, you know, that, that deal had expired and sort of like the shackles were off. And I could say, okay, if it, if, it's, if it has the legs that I think it has, it can survive and thrive in other, let's call them banking centers. 
Um, the trick here is that it's not a mass participation event. It's not an event for everyone. So going into these different markets, you essentially have to, you have to get real uh, sort of hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat in each of those markets to identify who are those thought leaders, who are those centers of influence in each one of those markets that can accelerate the formation and growth of a community that the event will survive because the community derives so much value from its existence that then it doesn't fail. Um, I would say that in Houston and San Francisco last year, we did a very good job. In Boston and Chicago, um, they struggled. And it was just because I think boils down to Chicago and Boston are big small towns. And tr New York, San Francisco, Houston are a bit more transactional. Um, so maybe the, 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 in the direct answer to your question in deciding to do that, in deciding to make that change, change outside of New York, outside of Wall Street, make it a tour, it was one where I said, we should be Iron Man. There should be, for, for basically the power athlete, you, that means you've got to curate that field um, so there's stickiness. There's a great high degree of mm -hmm. retention. Um, and then what we learned was not every market reacts the same way to your branding or to your market as New York City. So 2016 was a hell of a learning year for us. I think 2017, we get it right across mm -hmm. all the markets. And that's obviously part of the process. I mean, the yeah. the mistakes and the, and the journey along the way. You mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting about the RBC deal. Yeah. When you signed the RBC deal, it was like a, a, a big moment. Huge. Huge. And to get the event going, you now you had a name sponsor. And by the end of the deal, you were looking to get out of it in a way and, and move on and grow. And that's, Absolutely. again, the way a business has evolved. So what's unbelievable and a huge accomplishment early on becomes something that could conceivably be holding the brand back. Totally at, fair. At, at a certain point. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know who, who said this recently, but I was listening to an entrepreneur talk about uh, goal setting and sort of the, the double-edged sword, the downfall of, of goal setting, particularly among entrepreneurs, is by the time you've reached the goal, you don't even care because you've already set so many others that this was like almost like a formality. Like, of course I'm going to achieve that. Like, I've got other shit I got to do now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like signing the deal with RBC was great. Like a big game changer for us. But, you know, within a short period of time, I was like, we got to get, we got to move on. You know, we got way bigger things to do here. So you televised the event. It's being a bigger thing. Oh, you got man. way bigger things to do. So you, you televised the event. And this was another amazing thing that I saw, that I saw as, as a viewer. Again, leading up to doing, taking part of my first decathlon. What made it also so attractive was, wow, I could pick up the phone and okay, talk and texting to a buddy going, hey, check it out. It's on NBC Sports right now. And this thing's coming to Houston and we get to do this and see these guys on there. You, you televise this. And it yeah. was a ridiculously world-class looking production that, that I think now made you look 10,000 times bigger yeah. than you actually were. <laughs> how, did, how did that come to be? Um, the, the, I've always been somebody who would prefer to learn by doing, particularly when I'm completely unprepared, right? Uh, necessity breeds creativity. 
And so the TV thing was I wanted the, the D10 to be on television for years. Um, but I was acutely aware that it needed to be, from a production standpoint, at a place where it was TV ready. And so in 2015, um, it was the first year where I literally could go into the stands during the event, Greg, and like talk to people because the production was smooth. And at that point, it was too comfortable. So I said, all right, you know what? We're going to put it on TV now and call NBC Sports. We had, had some contacts there for years and said, we're ready. We're ready. Let's do it. And, you know, do I know how to produce a TV show? Nothing. No, I, I still have, I, if I still had a VCR, I'd still have the, the time blinking. I don't know how to do, any, you know, touch anything. So we signed that deal. It's probably the toughest piece of the business or initiative we've ever done. You're talking about 104 people on staff on game day. You're talking about um, all sorts of personalities and TV is old. You know, people who are in TV have, there's a specific way that a sports program should look on TV. And so when myself, my, my production partner, Jeremy, you know, just sat in the room with a bunch of very, you know, well-established accredited renowned producers and say this is not going to look like anything you've ever seen before and just destroy all of sort of the story arcs that are traditional in sports tv you know you you don't you don't you're not welcomed you know in those conversations but we stuck to it and said it's got to look different it can't look like a track meet it's not a track meet um a hell of an undertaking and tremendous amount of lessons that come out of that Managing people, managing expectations, managing sponsors, managing you know the game day production. Um, you know, it, it's it's funny how um, how people have really, myself included, no idea how much goes into producing a live sporting event. It's unbelievable, um, and I wouldn't recommend it. To to anyone, you know, <laughs> one who's faint of heart. Um, you're not going to sleep for a few days and it's just going to be um, uh, a grind. I mean, you had said to me, we going into this, we talked about it also, even in different markets. Well, what if it rains? And you said, it doesn't, doesn't rain on the Degas. No, it doesn't rain. <laughs> no, it's that kind of a get, mindset and that kind of attitude. So it was, it's not going to rain. Can't it's afford like, to have it rain. We're not getting, and, and, and we're prepared in a way, but. Nope, we're moving moving forward. Always, always moving forward. <coughs> yeah, with it. So, <laughs> so you now you've done your first tour: mm -hmm. Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, Houston, circling back to New York. Coming, you're now based. You're here. This right, is where right Houston's home. Houston, Houston's home. New York's still your biggest market for for the D10. For now, um, for now, right. You do a lot of traveling now. Yeah. So how are you handling the the work-life balance, the the family, the grind of entrepreneurship, the taking the show on the road? Yeah. Hmm? There's there's not much of a decision to make, you know, if you, as an entrepreneur um, there's just an unfathomable sense of responsibility and and responsibilities that you take on. Managing your travel schedule, managing your work-life balance, um, they become 
you know, my, my wife says uh, that I have to compartmentalize. I compartmentalize everything, um, meaning that, yeah, I'm away from my two young kids. I'm away from my kids. Not a, not as a choice, you know, it's not what I'd like to do, but that's part of the gig, you know, and you just have to, you accept that and say, okay, this is the way it is so that the time with your wife or your, your children wife or friends is, I think, maximized because you have less of it, so you make the most of it. Um, it's, it's part of the job. It's not going to be forever, but it's, it's required right now. Where do you see this five years from now? Then, then ten. What, what's yeah. what's your thought about about the end game? When you say it's not going to be forever, but what's Dave Maloney's end game? Saying, okay, where do I want the decathlon to go? Has it already gone so much farther than you thought it can go, or do you have so much farther that that you want to mm-hmm. take it? And and where where is that? There's so much room to grow. There's still such a long runway. I would say we're still in the first inning if you want to put a sports analogy on it. Um, if you look at a shift in consumer behavior over the past 10, call it 15 years, um, you saw a seismic shift in the way that, you know, I would say your sort of educated, upwardly mobile consumer shifted their purchasing proclivities from, you know, cigars and golf and sort of the vices and moved it toward longevity. Um, health and wellness and so there's a I think there's we're still early in the whole space we're still early in um, what's going to become of consumers that are looking for these really high-end but healthy experiences um, that are not only experiences on game day but become part of your personal story right sort of the way that you're living your life so can the, D, the D10 be this trusted conduit to all sorts of products and services? Um, can we be an entity that is manufacturing or creating some of those products? I think so. Um, from the technology side, we created all of our technology. Our registration system is our own. Our performance-based pledging system is our own. Our mobile scoring system is our own. Our digital leaderboard is our own. We've had Olympians that do our event, and they'll say to me, Dan O'Brien said to me, you know, Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon said to me, this is the, this is the best produced event ever. Where do you have, where did you get this technology? Why haven't you licensed it to the NCAA or the Olympics? You can't even do the Olympic decathlon, and the moment you're done with the Olympic decathlon, know immediately what the leaderboard looks like. You know, and NCAA meets, they're still printing out uh, hard copies after each event they post them in the coaches booth and the coaches all gather around and see where their athlete is from 45 minutes ago right imagine mm-hmm. doing the D10 and not knowing where you are for 45 minutes you know immediately when you hop off the pull up bar what, what, how many points you got and that's part of the rush that's which, part which, of is, which is so cool Right. There are guys who are there all day and someone's got an iPhone on the team and they're looking at the point matrix and seeing how many points do we need, how far behind are we. So there's a long runway here on the on the technology side. Um, you know, you ask me, where, where, does, where does this go? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of room for it to grow from experiences, products, services, the whole lifestyle uh, around it. 
So you've got to, use your word, compartmentalize that. Say, okay, I have all these ideas, and there's so many places that this, that this can go. But you've got to choose to focus on certain areas or think you, know, you can't do everything well or you'll get lost and, and, and diluted in oh, there too. So what are your habits or, or, or your strategies on, on compartmentalizing and saying, okay, here's my next task or here's our next goal. And if we get here, we can, we can go to here versus we can do all of these things and it's all up there. I'm grabbing yeah. a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, and the next thing you know, you're juggling too many balls, and and the whole thing can totally kind of unravel because you're you're wearing a lot of hats as it is. So in 2016, when it became a tour, Greg, the my, my objective was the operation has to be perfect. That in year one, if you produce a poorly produced event, you might never recover in that market. So in 2016, the idea was, all right, this is the elegant production in New York City. It's like clockwork. Put all of your effort into ensuring the experiences in Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, and Houston were equally as elegant. There wasn't any hiccups in the day. So that in year one, you were able to create, get this really solid toehold into the market. Because everyone comes out of the event and says, that was produced really, really well. So then what happens in year two, in 2017, our objective is, okay, now, now you have to grow those new markets, particularly two, three, four times in terms of the size of the athlete and quantity of athletes, the amount of money that's raised, the, spon- the local sponsors that derive value from it. That's, that's your next objective. In 2018, we deploy world championships. So that's our next thing, right? Now there has to be an end goal, just like Ironman has Kona. So now those regional qualifiers, which are all elegantly organized, they all have similarly um, similar fields, qualifiers, let's say. Now everyone's working toward world championships. After you've done that world championships, that's when you can, I believe, say, okay, now my markets are set, my production's set. Now what are those ancillary things that we can add to the market? Because we already have stickiness. We've already proven uh, ourselves. There's trust. And that was one of the things that I was most impressed with in doing the event here, was I knew that the New York event was a first-class event, no doubt. That if I got on that plane and I went down to New York and I would be competing with the best of the best, that that was the that was a first-class event in there. The first year in Houston, what we had to go on was things like you sitting in a conference room telling a bunch of us <laughs> it's going to be a first-class event right. like New York, and we're going to have uniforms there for you, and we're going to have this. But you don't really know. You just start training and go, okay, New York is a first-class event. Let's see how the first year is going to be in, in, totally. in Houston. And I would say at this point, I would, have been, I would bet my last buck that San Francisco – Boston, Chicago were all exactly the same as the experience that I had in Houston, which was, wow, right? mm-hmm. this is a first-class event. It could accommodate X number of more people here, but it's unbelievable the production value that we got as athletes right. out there that the uniforms were what you said they were. They weren't a locker okay, at Equinox, which was really cool, and you got to find it and pick it up, and you got to go out there. The technology, the entire production was so good that we finished the event and immediately started recruiting other people 
to come do it next year. Because how could you miss you miss this? Okay, this is unbelievable right. Right, over here. And most of you guys that are either working out in dingier places, or even if you're working out at the nicest, you know, of, of spa type gyms, you got to come out here and see this experience and and put it to work. Sure. And that, you know, I think to to your point, if that was your goal, then you, I mean, you killed that goal, and that's and that's where I see it, it continuing to grow because. You want to do it again? Yeah, that that's the point. We, I mean, as a company, I think certainly entrepreneurs. I talk to entrepreneurs all the time about, you know, entrepreneurs are always in a race to scale, me included. But the money is often made, and if you can just swallow deep and wait, get every step right, so that you don't scale too fast, and then you've lost everybody that you, you know, scaled to attract. Mm -hmm. And so certainly if you can create, I, I always talk about if you can create these trusted sources, we're a trusted source. Your early adopters who do the event, they're trusted sources in their professional or social circles. Then you're sort of your network effect or that exponential, uh, you're gonna get growth that you would not have otherwise gotten through your traditional marketing channels. Mm -hmm. And you used a term that I really like, which is which is stickiness in there. And I think with this in in, in particular, there is a stickiness because of the like-minded nature of the individuals that are compelled to take part in this. And and you're catching us, and I say us because this is something I plan on continuing to do, and I'm and, and I'm enthralled by the whole process. But you say, okay, I can achieve my athletic goals. Mm -hmm. I can compete against my, my peers, people that are actually working, living, balancing, so on and so forth. Uh, I can tap into my my inst my community instincts and, and willingness to get and, and, and initiatives and, and desires to give back sure. you know, to to a cause. So there's the film and we all know we have a finite amount of time anyway. And the ability to combine all of these things, which is okay, I can professionally network. Exactly. Utilizing my athletic you know, prowess if, or lack thereof depending upon where you are <laughs> no, you and, won you but, won your but, <laughs> but that's the thing also you don't have to right you could be there for just a great day of taking part in a couple of the events and being on a team and being out there and which is we all win I mean, we all mm -hmm. win in that scenario certainly and they probably always will there'll be a group of guys that are always going to be up there we want to win it and then there's going to be a bunch of people out there that are enjoying the overall experience which is totally fair awesome, awesome as well in, yeah. in there but you hit all of these areas, and all of a sudden you say, okay, I am maximizing my time now, which isn't that what we're all really trying to do, is figure out how do we maximize our time and be efficient and effective in everything, and now I just hit all of these pillars in one shot. I'm professionally networked, I'm part of a community, I'm giving back philanthropically, I'm staying healthy at the same time, what else do I? What else do I need? I still have to go to my office because I have to work. If I don't work, I can't compete in this anyway. Because <laughs> then I'm a short-time sure. athlete mm -hmm. in sure. there. Mm -hmm. Sure, that and that's exactly uh, why I think there's so much runway still to 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 explore on this. Um, I think th those components that you just mentioned, you're gonna place different value on them based upon different sort of where you are in life. Sometimes philanthropy is more important than the athleticism. Sometimes the athleticism is more important than the business development aspects, right? And th so those things are gonna change. And so the stickiness, right, or the retention rate is so high 
because those things will change sort of you know the again during the during life so for those that are less um they don't know as much about the decathlon, or they might be new to the decathlon. Yeah. Explain a little bit how the structure is, is set up, because all of the proceeds and the, and the charity betting aspect of it do go to go to the actual cost. They do. So how do you actually operate it again as, as a business? Because you've, it's, it's pretty innovative, and again, in the way that you've done that. So you've got to sustain the business side of, of, right. of the D10, and also maintain the, the philanthropic integrity and everything you've, you've set out to do there. I keep it real simple. When, when we, for people that don't know what the D10 is, I, say, I, I suggest think of it like Iron Man. It's a for profit sports production company. We're going to live off of your registration fees and sponsorships. There's a philanthropic component, but it's a separation of church and state. All, all of those donations are processed by and received directly by the charitable organization, which, as you know, is a competitor. Why you get you know, a tax receipt from the entity itself. And it's for 100 cents on the dollar. It keeps it, it it's just a, more transparent that way. It's easier story. All the, all the stuff that goes to charity, we don't, there you go. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that's, that you would expect to get registering for an Ironman triathlon, well, that's how we, that's how we operate too. Got it. And, and again, as you said, that makes it as transparent as transparent can it's be. Easy. It was an easy way to request sponsorship or, or, or donations and get when I say sponsorship because of the charity betting aspect if you will which is people are trying to see whether or not you're going to make your goals and this was this is a really cool thing if you go to the website and you can put you know you can place your bet on your friend your fellow competitor whatever it may be and if they smash their their pull-up goal or their dip goal or their 400 goal then boom you know more goes directly to the cause so exactly. it's it's incentive for us to set realistic you know, and achievable Goals and then push it, you know, to to get there, to get there as well. It's one of the the the, the performance based pledging system is designed particularly so that everyone wakes up on game day nervous. I want you to wake up on game day with game day jitters, excited, anxious, nervous, whatever it is that you know the difference. Every every athlete, whether you competed only in middle school or high school, college, everybody knows what it feels like on game day. And game day jitters, you hate them when you have to have them and then you miss the shit out of them when you just don't have game days anymore. And if we can create, recreate game days because no one wants to lose any money, you want to perform the best as you can. Mm-hmm. Now we've created a, an, another incentive. You know, Craig, you got a couple thousand bucks on the line here the fun, you know, pediatric cancer research, like show up today. And you know what? You do, you know, I think it's, it's, we ran the numbers. I mean, the average performance-based donation increases 18%. I mean, people do lose some money, but they make it up. You know, there's, there's a, and it's also why it's, it's so much fun to watch. And it's also why people end up actually rooting for people that they're competing against, because mm-hmm. ultimately, like you do want that guy to hit his goals. Sure, sure. So you've got a lot of time though in between each decathlon. Yeah. A year. I mean, when it was New York, it's a year. Sure. And now, at least you have other markets to fill your year, so you don't have to wait as long to get to game to get to game day. What's the I don't. I don't want to call it downtime because there's obviously so much work involved. But it's kind of like I would imagine. You know, you come off stage, 
you know, and the endorphins are there and the rush there. And okay, well, well, tomorrow, like, I really don't get to quote unquote perform. I'm right. back in the yard. Like, what's what's the day to day behind the scenes office or, or business life like for you in in staying on point and on mission of running the decathlon in between sure. the events? When when the crowd goes, you know, the crowd goes home. The mm-hmm. athletes kind of go home. You pack up all the trucks. The pull up bars go away. The benches go away and go. Okay, what do I do tomorrow? Do I call a sponsor for next? Do I like what do I do? It's a great question. Um, and I actually talked to some of my buddies who uh, produce all the big uh, event series that you and I know of, and people still ask them like. So what? Like, do you have a, do you have another job, right? And this guy's running a hundred million dollar business. You're like, no. Um, but it's a fair question because, right? What do you do once the tour is over or before it starts? Because you got to get hooked on it. I would imagine that's also why guys stay on the road. You know, whether they're on tours with bands or they're or, or they're producing these things because that's that's the rush and it's quiet when when the crowd and the light goes totally home and the fair. lights go off. You know. So what do we do? The business operations, you know, operating, preparing for the tour, whether that's just, you know, logistics and storage um, or insurance, right? You got to prepare all of those things. Marketing. It's a long, it's a long runway. There's a long lead time for marketing. Um, We rebranded, you know, we were the D10 and, you know, I think we have a unique uh, I would say opportunity, not a, not a problem, but an opportunity or a challenge, which is how do you pivot from the Wall Street-centric decathlon, which has a lot of brand recognition, to pivot to the D10, which isn't necessarily abandoning Wall Street by any stretch, but just casts a slightly broader net into businesses like, if you go to Houston, how do you get the law firms and energy companies? Mm-hmm. It's argue it's the same consumer as your Goldman Sachs associate or VP sure. in New York, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, so your market. There's a there's a, there's a tremendous amount of effort that goes into marketing right now. Um, we talked about where, like where where does the D10 go in 2018, etc. You have to be preparing for all of that, setting that up. Meaning, who are your marketing partners? Because your marketing partners today are going to be real tiny relative to what you need them to be in 2018 Mm -hmm. or 2019. Sure, your local marketing support, your local sponsors are not going to be capable of of following you, if you will, nationally. They're not. Or even internationally. Totally fair. And I think even for your national sponsors, we have Equinox now as a big partner of ours. But it's a new relationship. And so... It's us working with Equinox to define, okay, what are we going to do together in Chicago? Because you got a lot of stuff you're doing otherwise. we got we got to make this now part, not just a transaction. Like this is a part of every year Equinox's marketing strategy includes what is it doing with the D10. Mm-hmm. And so that takes a lot of time. That's, that's our responsibility. Sure. Well, I definitely I, – I like the expansion of professionals that you can now – Go after because as great a title as the fittest man on Wall Street is, well, what's the next thing you think of if you don't work on Wall Street? Which is, are you as fit as I am? Okay. And I don't work on Wall Street. Right. But are you talking about people in professional service industries and people, again, with a certain background and a certain lifestyle or a certain education, a certain athletic background? Or you say, okay, we're going to widen that. I, def- I, I, I like that because it's one of those come one, come all in a way, if you get up, put a suit on and go to work every day, well, 
or maybe not a suit, whatever you wear, but you're working, okay, and you're competing at the same time, do you fit the bill, you know, to, to be able to go at it, you know, with a trader? What's the difference, per se, from an attorney, an accountant, and a risk manager to, to a trader or a hedge fund guy you know, yeah. out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, the perfect ecosystem was really what we had the first year in Houston, which was you had some private equity and bankers and hedge fund guys. You had some lawyers. You had your insurance. You had your energy companies. You hit all, I mean, your medical. You had all the major industries that ultimately they need each other to sustain. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the idea is if you're just Wall Street, I mean, ask any of the investment bankers, Greg, they used to compete with us you know, in 2011 and 12 and tell us, I can't even bring my clients because I'm a technology media telecom banker. So I can't bring the clients to this event, but I'm dying to bring my Viacom clients mm-hmm. here. Now you can. Now you can. Um, and so that's, but again, that's also how a lot of the, the, our time is being spent is you've got to go into the law firms or the accountants or the consultants or the energy folks, right? And and be able to say, remember that Wall Street event? Yeah, well, now you can do it too. Mm-hmm. You can do it too. So what's the highest moment that you can recall in, in the overall D10 experience? And then the, the opposite, what, what, what's, the lo- what's the lowest one? <laughs> I think if you ask any entrepreneur, tell me if you agree, you remember all of the lowest points. There's so many of them because you fear them and they drive you. Um, I honestly don't know what that highest moment is. I really don't. Um, I'm also terrible at compliments. I'm sort of, you know, so I, I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure what I'm necessarily looking for as to say, oh, that was, like, that was a high moment. But there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing that's like, I, I guess... I, I, I'm shitty at stopping and smelling the roses. <laughs> but that's what also drives you in a way that if you were sitting around smelling them and it was all great, does it stop right here? Exactly. And at that point, does it start to go backwards? Totally fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you dodge that you know, pretty, pretty well. Pretty well. <laughs> How long has it been since you actually competed? So I, I were you one and done? Well, so were you with you the park and then you're done. <laughs> yes. So even that first year, I mean, you you'll, I mean, so laugh when I tell you. I mean, that first year, like literally the first year that I competed, um, I also was the judge. I scored the event, you know. So I was literally, you know, with a stopwatch in my hand. I would time you, write down the score. Then hand the clipboard and the stopwatch, you know, to my wife, and I'd say, "All right, now time me." You know, everyone else sort of warming up in between events, getting stretched out, and so uh, I've said, like, one of my goals is one day. I don't know when it is, but I do want, I do want to compete. I do want to do the whole thing, and I don't want to start the event. I want to check in. I want to, I want to get my uniform the same way you guys do. I want to do that. Um, because I, I, I can say I've never done it without working the event. I've never just competed. Well, I'd say at that point, I mean, 
you have you you have exceeded or got certainly gotten to your goal. If you're able to produce a first class event for this organization that you've gotten started, and you're able to walk in the door and be a happy participant, just just a client, if you will, you know, participant, client, competitor, then then you've reached it. I mean, I, I maybe that's maybe that's the highest of highs. Maybe it, it could be. I mean, I always feel, and we talked about this before. You know, when I walk into row, you know my. I want to be a happy client. I just want to go and get a great workout in, and I want the same experience that our customers hopefully have. And if if I get to that point, which which I'm nowhere near, as uh-huh. where I'm no longer walking in the door, taking a look at light bulbs or air conditioning filters, or seeing how every other customer might be either looking or frowning or smiling or or yeah. and analyzing every coach's comment and and everything else, if when I get if I'm able to ever get past all that and just go in and enjoy the experience for 50 minutes, walk in and walk out, then I that's when I feel like we've got something. Okay, totally. If you can do that and our and our staff is humming on all cylinders and the experience is really good and I got nothing to say, but that was just a great workout, that was a great 50 minutes and I'm at it, then then guys we got we got something then. Totally. I don't know whether that'll ever happen. Yeah. Location one, location two. I mean, you just, I think you keep going and you keep pushing in there, but maybe a nice goal. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a <laughs> great something goal. to shoot for. I think it's, I think it's totally fair that that's what you should be shooting for. I think, I think I would argue that every entrepreneur wants to, you know, buy the product and have that same experience, you know, that, uh, as if they were a customer that. Uh, in the same way that they picture in their mind is the perfect customer experience. Yeah, and I think about it now and hearing you say it back and you wonder, okay, is it a, is it ever really possible? Because I think it's whether, look, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a party or anything you do, you notice things that everybody else doesn't. Yeah. And that'll always be the case. Hard to eat in your own restaurant. Totally you know? fair. Hard to really enjoy your own party. Hard to work out in your own gym. Hard to be yeah. you know, as accepting of, of your situation as, as maybe your, your consumer's are or your friends are or anybody else I would, that's there it's fair that's to drive you know that's that's what drives it I guess I would agree. I agree men's health did a pretty amazing uh, pretty amazing feature on you guys just recently how has the response been to that how did that come to be that's that's big time yeah that, um, so that guy that um, journalist Joe Kita um, had contacted me about a year ago to write a story, and uh, I didn't think actually the story was coming out. And when it did come out, I didn't know it came out. Right, so I'm not in the article, which is which is the way it should be. Right, it's on the athletes, so I don't know what's coming out. And I'm in Boston, and one of our board members says, "Oh, did you see Men's Health this month?" I said, "No, why?" He said. Dude, there's a huge article in this. So I, right, I, I, I go to his office. He's got the magazine. He shows me the article. And I call up uh, one of the guys who's featured in it, Mark Rubin, who's our five-time winner. I, I text him. And I said, dude, why didn't, why didn't you tell me that this, you're doing this article? And he says, well, do you remember I was on vacation with my family? And they were trying to coordinate a photo shoot. And I had referred that men's health to this particular gym partner and I said yeah I remember that 
but you guys didn't do the shoot in the gym. He's like, yeah, I, I know. And I was like, well, I thought that then you didn't do the article. He didn't do the shoot. He's like, yeah, what they had me do is they just had me take off my shirt in front of New York Stock Exchange <laughs> instead. And he didn't tell me that part. So I thought like, ah, oh, you know, a story died. Okay, like that's journalism. That's PR. Like, whatever. Sometimes you just don't get the story. So I had no idea it was coming out. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good piece. It was a good piece. It's a good surprise. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. So what's what's next? From here, what's the next city? Okay, where do you go starting tomorrow? What's 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 next? Yeah, so we the, the tour starts again starts up again in June in New York. Um, this year we're, we're weighing uh, an expansion to London. Um, when you expand overseas or even just to Canada. Um, this big capex, you essentially recreate your whole event, all of your new signage, all of your new equipment. You can't move it between the continents. Um, you got it held up and held. It gets held up in customs. You don't have an event. You have to leave it there. So I think expansion is important. I think we want to be able to show that uh, we have under the operational and marketing chops to take the concept like Iron Man. You can put it elsewhere in the, in the world and it'll work. Um, that said, whether, even if that doesn't come to fruition, preparing every year, and you'll learn this firsthand, you, every year the event is different. It's never the same. And we've got guys who are now in their seventh or eighth year, and every year they tell us, I just can't believe what you did this year. What could you possibly do next year? And you know what? That's a fun way to come into the office and say, All right, you know, we got this set of people that... Right, they have this expectation of what it's going to be like this year. How do you make it better? Um, so when it comes to media this year, it'll be totally different. When it comes to who knows, maybe your uniforms totally different, your training totally different. Um, what happens if who knows? What happens if there's an eleventh event and you get to drop an event? What do you, right? You never know. Um, yeah, so so we don't want to get, uh, to give it away, but we're working on, you know, ensuring that the 2017 experience is better than 2016. Whether you were in New York or Houston, it's better. The Greg Shaman Podcast is presented by Inns Group. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, go to innsgroup.net. And also by Rose Studios, endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. For more information, visit rosestudios.com.